We're going to start out with a well-known one, Glorious Day, if you all join us. tonight at David Van Kirk's house at 5.30, <clears throat> and I've been having conversations 
here with Travis, and that is going to be fabulous because um, it's, I mean, I hope I'm not stepping out too far, but beginning kind of teaching y young men and women on apologetics, um, knowing how to discuss and stand up for their faith. Um, we all know, especially now in this environment, how important that is. So 5.30 tonight at David Van Kirk's home. Uh, men's breakfast, September the 12th. This is, this is a Saturday at 8 a.m. And uh, study afterwards. If anybody is comfortable in the kitchen, show up a little early at 7.30. Um, <coughs> I mentioned this last week as far as a, kind of a save the date, um, the return, and there it is on the screen. Uh, but there's, uh, there's some of these available here. I mean, Roy's got a handful of them. I've got some. Um, and uh, but if you've never haven't heard about this, this is going to coincide with an event that's going to be held September 26th um, on the National Mall in D.C. Locally, there's going to be an event at State Line Speedway that same day from 11 to 1. And uh, this is a this is a uh, an event for uh, for uh, repentance, for prayer, uh, for revival. Um, renewal, healing. So who should come? Everybody should come. Every believer and anybody who, who uh, has interest in that. Um, I am also, not only me, but there's about five of us here that are uh, that have volunteered within the church to kind of have leadership. We need volunteers. Uh, volunteers, counselors. So anybody that's comfortable and, and has some experience speaking with uh, people that are interested or new Christians. Um, ushers. And then the, the grunt work, the cleanup, uh, parking, security. Um, if so, there's a, a, a um, mandatory meeting that, that uh, I'd like to talk to you about or Roy can talk to you about. But uh, anyway, we could use some volunteers. Um, tutoring. Shane. Um, hey, are you, John, are you and Roy going to be out there so people can grab you yep. when, we, when we leave? Okay. Make sure that if you're interested in being involved in that, in praying and, and engaging, uh, we are committed to prayer as a church. We have a monthly prayer meeting and, and those things, and we really, uh, we believe in the power of prayer and want to continue to exercise that in every way possible. So, yes. Awesome. So more than just being there, uh, there's a commitment to 10 days of consecutive prayer for that event um, that you can be involved with as well. So make sure you grab them, see them, uh, and get information on that. You're going to continue to hear about it from us uh, over the next uh, few weeks as we move forward. Um, and I want to encourage you in the area of prayer, continue to be praying. We have a family night of prayer here every month. We've started that back up again, and we, I want to encourage you to be here. Um, it's part of what we do. Pray for our nation, pray for the people, the church, pray for our community, um, and we are committed to that and very excited to do that. I'm excited about today. As you guys can tell, I'm in my hot tub gear, and uh, we have it set up this morning, and uh, we actually have a baptism this morning that we're going to do, and then the great joy for me is uh, going to be getting to hear from a new couple, a new missionary couple of ours uh, that our church is supporting, and I look forward to hearing from them today and and you guys getting to meet them for the first time today. Um, we are talking about tutoring. Uh, we have a meeting coming up this coming Wednesday, right after our ministry team leader meeting, and it starts at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're probably going to be, we're, we're going to do Family Life Center. And so if you're interested in being involved, some of you have, have let us know your interest. Some of you um, are maybe still hearing about this. We want to try and provide a free tutoring opportunity for families in our neighborhood that are homeschooling their kids for the first time, have no idea what they're doing, or parents who are just overwhelmed and need help with that. So if you have experience in education, if you have a desire to help in that area administratively, uh, any of those areas that are, you have any interest at all, please come on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. This, this is a beginning process. We want to gather and, and kind of lay out a ministry team, a volunteer team to begin to run with this and, and to see what we can do to bring the gospel and, and to bring service to our community right here in Liberty Lake 
uh, and to use our church in a way that would bless as many people as possible. So the, the first meeting is this coming Wednesday, 5 o'clock, here at the church up in the Family Life Center. We're very excited uh, to get started in that. So um, with that, I'm going to transition into the next section, which is our baptism. Rick, would you come on up and join me this morning? Uh, Rick Turner has joined us. He's been, oops, sorry, babe. Uh, he has been with us now for a few months and uh, has a little bit of a story about how he got here. And it turns out his bride was a pretty, pretty big factor in, in, in getting you here. And uh, you contacted me um, probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I, you know, I lost track in the whole middle of COVID thing. Um, it's been a while ago. And Rick contacted me and said, hey, I'd really like to get baptized. And so we began to talk about that. And what I love about part of your story is how you kind of thought you had an idea of what you were going to say, and then the Lord just, he kind of, he was showing off just a little bit and, and has helped. So why don't you share with everybody uh, what we talked about, just why do you want to be baptized now, and what's, what are you seeing God do in your life? Okay. Good morning. Um, as Shane said, my name is Rick Turner. Um, Fairly new-ish to Liberty Lake Church, uh, not terribly new to the Spokane area. Uh, my wife and I moved out here about three years ago to Liberty Lake about a year ago, actually a year ago yesterday, technically. Um, the easiest way to start out, I grew up in a Christian household, and I was, as you would describe, a good kid. Um, I never drank, never smoked, I've never done a drug a day in my life. Aside some speed ordinances, I pretty much obey all the laws. Um, but for the most part, I just tried to keep my nose clean. Um, my father was a young Christian when he was raising me. I'm the youngest of eight kids, um, of which I'm the only one that my dad actually raised. All of my brothers and sisters are 20, 25 years older than I am, and they're scattered across the country. Um, my dad found Christ when he was right about 37. I'm 38. I got saved when I was 11. And for math's not my strong suit, what, 20, 20 plus years, I've ignored the first instruction, get baptized. And a lot of it, frankly, was arrogant pride on my part. Because I was growing up, I was a good kid. I stayed out of trouble. I didn't go to parties. I didn't... Um, philander my time or live a cavalier lifestyle. I just tried to be respectful, do what I was told, keep my head down, and all that. Every now and again, I'd start to stray a little bit, and, you know, there's this little kind of, no, 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 back over here, back over here. Keep going that way. And I appreciated it, and I never took it for granted, per se, but I started to ignore it a little bit because I started to get arrogant that I could figure it out myself. Um... Biggest thing when it came to relationships. I've, um, my wife, bless her sweetheart and her grace with me, um, she's my fourth wife. My dad had been married seven times, primarily because he just left all of his wives. He was a musician, he was good at it, and much like me, he was handsome. And so he didn't really have much trouble in the department of relationships, except keeping them for any length of time. So he raised me very legalistic. Like, I think the first Bible verse I had memorized was, it's appointed a man once to die and after that judgment. I was six. <laughs> and so I grew up with kind of this inherent fear of what was coming if I screwed up. But as I got older, I started to see more and more evidence of the grace of Christ as well. Um, my first wife, I'd met through a church. We were married for three months. She called me and told me she wanted a divorce. Her father was an elder in the church. They threw me out of the church. And it turns out she had met a man. They were married for 10 years and had four kids, but afterwards, obviously. But I didn't know how to process that. And I started to get frustrated with the concept of Christianity as a religion. I was never mad at God. It was never his fault. But I was still angry. And so I avoided the church. I avoided followers, you know, I, I avoided fellowship because I was going to do it myself, because I could do it myself. A few years later, I remarried, met my son's mother. Um, we, were, we were married for about three years. We were unable to conceive, and then miraculously out of nowhere, we were able to conceive, 
and it was like, all right, cool. I'm paying attention. You know, thank you, God. I appreciate this. He was born four months early. And after 16 months, a four-organ transplant, three lung surgeries, an eye surgery, two brain bleeds, and a host of medical problems up to my knee, he died in 2011. Two weeks later, my wife left me for another man. Took the house, our dogs, everything that we had of our son. I have a garden stone, three socks, and a what's referred to as a wubby. It's a little you know, stuffed animal with a binky on the end of it. And that's all I have aside some photos of my son. 16 months and I've got almost no physical memory of him. But I never blamed God. I figured if God could give up his son for me and for everybody else, who am I to have the audacity to tell him he can't have my son? especially that young. He wasn't going to have any quality of life. I mean, it was a massive blessing that he brought him in the first place and an even bigger blessing when he took him home. And every now and again, actually, those two fine folks there in the Tabasco shirt and the peach shirt, my buddy Kevin and Gloria, every now and again, God would use them and push me back into church. They'd be, I'd wake up in the morning and either Gloria or Kevin would be like, dude, we're here. When are you going to get here? I'd be like, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. You know, and I'd roll in, I'd sit, I'd listen, and whatever message was prevalent at the time was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And I kept saying, all right, you've got my attention. But then I'd start getting arrogant again, and I'd start pulling away from it. Fast forward a few years, I'm skipping one of the marriages because it's boring. It was a mistake, too, and that, that's on me, 100%. I met Aubrey. Online, as most things do, because again, for the most part, I was a good kid. I didn't go to bars. I didn't go out looking for relationships. I just figured that when the time came, the time would come. And I had an online profile. She happened to look at it and then ignored me. I went, all right, well, hang on a second here. <laughs> I noticed that she had a picture of a 57 Bel Air in one of her photos. And I said, well, I at least have to ask her about the car. Maybe then she'll talk to me. And that was April of 2016, huh? And by June or July, I told her, look, I know we're going to be together forever, but I can't marry you. I cannot go through this again. We got married October of 2016, <laughs> and it was, it was a very big shove. Every time I've needed it, God has always, for whatever reason, put his hand in the middle of my back and said, there you go, kid. Hop in. You're going to have fun. We're coming up on four years now, and it's been amazing. And we've had our challenges. We, got, we kind of got shoved into Spokane through some challenges and everything from Kalispell as far as housing and stuff like that. But when we got out here, after a couple years' time, Aubrey said, I want to get back into church. And I said, I don't know if I'm ready to go back. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm not upset at God. I'm just, I'm, I'm, not over, I'm not over church, but I'm a follower of Christ which means I'm supposed to be the church, and, and I'm not doing what I was told, so I need to quit being prideful and arrogant. So here, right before COVID started, um, Aubrey said, I want to go back to church, and I said, give me one week. You and our sister Olivia go. I'm going to stay home. I need to sort some stuff out. And so I prayed for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes until they got home. And I said, look, I've been fighting you, God, for 20-plus years. I'm tired. I can't do it alone. The one person I'm supposed to be leaning on and building a relationship and acting as a living sacrifice for him, doing what he wants me to do, living for his will and his glory, I've completely neglected it. Completely. I, didn't, I never denied him. I just never did anything for him. And I said, all right, next week I'll go. She said, well, we're going to be there at 945. You're going to sit through the entire worship, and you're going to talk to somebody you've never met before. And I said, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> but it, like I was telling her yesterday, it's the first time she's ever been assertive with me. Not, you know, why aren't the dishes done or why isn't the yard mowed? We live in an apartment. Don't have to mow the yard. But it was the first time that it felt like it was coming from somewhere else. It was like, all right, kid, you asked for it. Let's see if you mean it. We got here at 9.47 just because I was a couple minutes late getting up. We walked in the door and we were greeted. 
and it was the day of a potluck. Uh, it was the Creole jambalaya Louisiana potluck or whatever. And I said, there you go. That's my one person. I, I spoke to the greeter as I walked in. She said, that doesn't count. I said, oh, it counts. And then a man named Dick walked up. Now, my father, I'm a junior. I'm Richard Jr. My dad went by Dick for most of his life. Dick walks up and he says, hey, it's good to see you again. I don't remember your name, though. And I'm like, I have never met you a day in my life. And I said, well, my name's Rick. He said, good, it'll be easy for me to remember. My name's Dick. I'm like, of course it is. It's a pleasure to meet you, Dick. <laughs> and he said, you're going to stay for the potluck, right? And I said, well, we'll see. Because originally we said we're not going to be able to stay because of gluten and stuff like that. But turns out everything was made with a gluten-free table included. I'm like, oh, how fortunate for us. <laughs> so we stayed through the service, and it was, it was a beautiful service. The songs were beautiful. It was like, all right. I'm, it's obvious. At the end of it, Dick asked if, again if we were coming to the potluck. And I said, well, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. So we went. Got my food, went to the table in the far back, in the very far corner to stay as far away from everybody as I could. It's not that you aren't wonderful people. It's just nerves and anxiety and all that. And I sit down, and Dick said, guys, why don't you come sit with us? That's when I met Dennis and his wife. I met, I can't remember Gay's last name, Mean, and then Dick and his wife. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Can you be any more apparent? That's originally, like, I had more depth than that as far as my upbringing to explain all that until about three and a half weeks ago. My father was 81. He's been a smoker for 72 years. And five weeks ago, he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, kind of out of nowhere. He'd been complaining about chest pain and stuff like that for a while, but he thought, well, you know, he's had a heart attack. He was a truck driver. It's probably related to that. Kept checking his heart. Nope, Les, your heart's fine. Your heart's fine. Your heart's fine. So they did a CAT scan and noticed that, I mean, it just looked like someone took a salt shaker and just dumped it all over an x-ray, except for one big spot right here up on his heart, right above his heart on his lung. It was about three millimeters by however many. And so it took some time off, and I went to go take care of him because he was going to be on home tenor. They're like, at this point, it's hospice. You've got days, maybe a week or two at best, you know, You've been talking about going home for 20 years less. It's time to go home. On the way over, I pulled over and I prayed because I had my brother coming over from Ohio, a sister from Kentucky, and a sister from California. They're all 25 years older than me, and they've all lived extremely different lifestyles. My brother Ted, a very rough lifestyle, and him and I never got along. We had a huge falling out 15 years ago after we'd just met each other. We knew each other for maybe two or three years at best, and we had a massive falling out, and frankly, it was my fault. I, I, missed, I judged him very unfairly. Um, where I should have been a Christian brother to him as well as an earthly brother, I completely neglected my duty, and we didn't talk for 15 years because of it. And on my way over, I pulled over and I said, look, I know Dad's going home. There's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I can do to stop it. It's wonderful. He wants to come home. Just please make the transition peaceful. Please make the weekend at least quiet and peaceful between the kids so that way, you know, he doesn't have stress and anxiety and all that fear that comes with transitioning out of this life. For two and a half weeks, I had a brother. I had two sisters. I had a family that dad had been waiting for for 25 plus years. My brother and I talked about stuff that we had never talked about before. He's working on his walk. I'm finally actually committing to mine. I mean, I never really turned, like I said, I never turned away from Christ, but I never did anything for him. And I woke up and I said, I'm done. I'm done fighting. As far as I'm concerned, he can do with me whatever he wants. Because if bringing those four kids together for my dad before he left isn't a miracle, I can't tell you what is. Because to be able to bring four different hearts, four different lives together for one singular purpose, to watch our dad go peacefully in his sleep after 72 years of smoking and hacking and coughing, a bad back, two heart attacks, a stroke, he went to sleep. Eight o'clock in the morning, just out. I, I can't think of a better testament to him. 
He took a man who ruined his life for most of it and took him home, gave him peace, and brought peace to his kids. And I, I can't keep running from it. I can't keep ignoring him. I can't sit here and say I want to do God's will and do his work and serve him to the best of my ability and not follow the most simple command of them all. Get saved and get baptized. And part of what we talked about, part of what we talked about in baptism is that this isn't just Rick's commitment. It's not just Rick's moment. This is our body life. This is what it means to be a family. And so part of what he's doing is he's making a public testimony of faith to all of you. And our response to that is publicly testifying to him that we're going to stand with he and his bride and, and we're going to walk with them and give them opportunity to serve. What, I think, how did I say it? Give you opportunity to serve, be offended, find restoration, restoration and forgiveness, all the things that come with being a church family. Um, and that's what we're committed to. And so this is us committing with you to your walk with the Lord in the public testimony of faith. So let's jump in the water. Well, don't jump in the water. I, I would just like to say. Won't you all stand and join us with Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you.
I can't, there, now I'm on, okay. So uh, while Shane and, uh, and Rick are drying off and getting ready to come back out, uh, I get to introduce to you um, a young couple that is here to share with us what's going on in their lives. We have Nicole and uh, Evan, Evan and Nicole Garrett uh, are members of the, uh, uh, it was Moody Life, or Moody Aviation, and you changed to Ethno Aviation as part of New Tribes. And uh, they will be going to uh, Pacific Asia as uh, missionaries. And uh, I don't know a lot more than that right now. Uh, I have a, a beautiful young new bundle of joy named Olive that's with them. And uh, they're going to tell us about uh, what's happening in their lives and what God is uh, hopefully going to be doing with them. And uh, so to, to speak, uh, here comes Evan. Good morning. Is that, uh, can you hear me? Um, well, it is uh, really good to be here with you today. Uh, Nicole and I have really been looking forward uh, to being here and to spending time with you uh, this morning. Um, and we are just so incredibly thankful for, for this church, for the church body, um, just for your your prayers for us, your in your partnership as we have been preparing to go. Um, we're just so in, incredibly thankful, and um, and as we're introduced, yeah, we are with uh, Ethnos Three Hundred and Sixty Aviation, uh, formerly known as New Tribes Mission, and we are headed to the the Asia Pacific region um, to be a part of reaching unreached people groups with the gospel and. Specifically, God has called us to be a part of that work through aviation, of supporting uh, missionaries through aviation. Um, and so we're looking forward uh, towards the end of our time this morning to, to be able to share with you a little bit more about exactly what that looks like. Um, but first, I just have the, the privilege of being able to open God's Word with you and just share a, a little bit from Scripture and, and dig into God's Word. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you, I didn't invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10, um, and it's a, one of my favorite passages uh, from Romans, and it's been really just encouraging this week just to, to dig into it um, and, and to study it this week. Um, but before, we, before I read, um, I just want to start by asking a question, and it might be a little bit of a, an odd question for a Sunday morning, but the question is, how would you describe your feet? And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I personally think feet are kind of gross, right? They're often dirty, they're often, they're often smelly, and actually I don't know where I came across this, but somewhere this week I came across an article and it said, your feet actually have over 250,000 sweat glands just in a pair of feet, right? No wonder they're often so gross. But here in this passage this morning, Paul he actually describes feet as beautiful. And he uses the word beautiful not because of the outward appearance of the feet, but he uses the word beautiful because of the, the beautiful message of good news that they're carrying. And so, I don't know about you, but I love receiving good news. And if I think back to a, a recent time when I got some good news, the first thing that comes to my mind is a phone call that Nicole received uh, actually just about a year ago today. Nicole had gone in for some 
blood work. And actually, even before the doctors got the lab report, the, the actual lab that was processing the lab gave Nicole a phone call because they had an urgent message. Funny part was we actually received multiple phone calls that day because they wanted to make sure that we heard this message of good news. You see, her elevated um, levels and her blood could only mean one thing, that she was pregnant, right? And a message of good news that we had waited for years in anticipation for, right? A beautiful message of good news. But that message of good news really pales in comparison. Really, there is no comparison to what we see here and what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 10. And so, if you will, let's read together, starting in verse 9. And it says, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now this is good news, right? That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and I love this passage because there's so much truth in it, and we could spend weeks just unpacking it. Uh, we see the, right, the doctrine of soteriology of salvation mentioned. We see the term justification mentioned. Verse 11 says, won't be put to shame. Right? Verse 12 bestowing his riches. Those are all concepts we could, we could really unpack this morning. But I think it's important that we, just, that we take a step back and just remind ourselves of the context of, of who Paul's writing to. And I think in, in doing so, it not only helps us better understand the passage, but I think it helps us better apply this to our lives today. And so if we go back to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10, we see that Paul's talking to the Jews, right, of whom he is one, right? And in verse 1, we really see Paul's heart. It says in verse 1, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. If you remember, at this point in, in, the, in history, the Jewish nation as a whole, they had rejected Jesus as Messiah. They had not only rejected the message of God through the prophets, but they had really rejected the messenger himself, Christ Jesus, right? Who they delivered over to the Roman government, crucified on the cross. And it was even after Jesus rose from the grave, they still did not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They refused to repent. And because of this, it's in verse 3 that Paul says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Right? And the, the Jewish people, we know that from history, they continued to seek a, a self-righteousness, a, a righteousness based upon the, the rules and regulations of the law. Right? A self-righteousness. And so Paul challenged this, this thought, this thinking, directly in verse 4. He says, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Old Testament laws were to reveal that all men were sinners. And the laws were meant to point to Jesus, and it was Jesus who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And so this is why Paul in this chapter, and if you read, if you go through and read 9 through 11, you see that Paul is constantly referring back to the Old Testament because this message of salvation for all, he's pointing them right back to the scriptures that they're familiar with, that this message of salvation is for all. And so he's quoting the Old Testament. And so as we go back to those first verses we, we read, verse 11, with this context in mind, 
we see that here in verse 11 through 13, Paul's quoting um, in passages in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 28, Joel 2.32, right? And so let's, let's read that again, starting back in verse 11. It says, it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Paul's just driving that point home that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We see that in chapters 9 through 11. But if you go back to chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, you see that there's no distinction in our sinful state, right? We're all guilty. We're all under condemnation, right? We're, we are all sinners. And the law, the law shows man's need for righteousness, but it cannot provide it. And, but they, they still didn't get it, right? They rejected this message, and it's, it's through the unbelief of Israel that the gospel would eventually go to the Gentiles and, and from the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. Right, and we know that God is faithful and that He will use His covenant with that He will be faithful to His covenant with Israel. But it's God's sovereign plan that the gospel would go to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. And it's God's sovereign plan to use His people, right? His church, His redeemed, to be a part of taking the gospel to those who have never heard. That we would be His feet, His messengers. And that's exactly what verse 14 is saying. It says how when it says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so let me ask you the question that we that I started with this morning. How would you describe your feet? And my prayer for myself, for my family, for us, for the church, is that we would have beautiful feet because we've been using them to proclaim the good news, the message of the good news, and in our neighborhoods right, in our city, to our nation, but then that we would take and be a part of going to those who've never heard before. The gospel truly is good news for all. But the reality is there are so many that have yet to hear the message of good news. There are so many unreached people groups that have yet to been, be reached with the gospel. And this morning, Nicole and I, we actually brought with us a list this morning. And it's a list of, of every unreached people group in the world that's still waiting to hear the saving message of God's Word. But before we show you that list, I just kind of want to define what we mean by an unreached people group. Simply put, an, an unreached people group is a, um, an entire group of people of the same language and culture, right? same ethnicity. Uh, who do not know Jesus and really have no access to the gospel without an outsider coming in to share with them the message of God's word. So practically what that looks like is that they don't have a copy of the scriptures of God's word in their heart language that they can read. There's no church like this that they can go to and, and hear the word of God being preached. And there's no messenger. There's no one to tell them. Right? They're in complete isolation from the gospel. And so I want to invite uh, Nicole on stage, and we just want to show you this list of, of unreached people groups. And it's, um, yeah, it's every single line on this list, I don't know if you can see it, but every single line is a, a different people group, somewhere from around the world. It shows the population, it shows where they're from. None of these people groups have a, a Bible in their heart language, there's no church, there's no messenger to tell them. They've been living in, in complete isolation from the gospel. On this list, there's 2,500 unreached people groups, complete people groups that have yet to hear the good news. Right, And so the gospel truly is good news for all. But the reality is there's still 2,500 unreached people groups who have yet to hear the message of the Bible. And so if you will, let's look back at the text uh, this morning at, and let's pick back up in 
verse 13. says in verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Right? And, and so Israel, they're without, without excuse, right? The, the word of Christ was proclaimed, but they rejected it. And as the gospel is going to the Gentiles, Paul leaves them with four questions. And I think it's four questions that are important for us to answer today as well. Paul says, how are they to call upon the Lord if they haven't believed? And how are they to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how is there to be preaching unless they are sent, right? Four very applicable questions, right? And as we look at those, I think Paul answers this question in verse 17. He says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you're, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Christ, how did you come to faith? The odds are, at some point in your life, someone took the time to share with you the message of God's Word, the good news, right? Whether it was at a church service or whether a friend, an individual, a parent, at some point, somebody took the time to share with you. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so, how do we respond to this passage this morning? Is it applicable for us? And I think there's, there's many takeaways that we could come away from, but I, I think first, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you're not familiar with what we've been talking about this morning, you can rest assured that this message of good news is for all. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I know there's elders and pastors who would love to talk to with you afterwards if you have questions about that. But I think second, for those of us who are in Christ, how do we respond? And this might surprise you coming from a missionary saying this, but reading through this passage, I don't actually see a missional command in this text, right? You read through it and there's really no command. But if anything, this text, the reason there's no command is because Christ already gave the command. And if anything, this text is a support text for the Great Commission. It should give us a hunger and a desire to be a part of what God has already commanded us to do, right? That we would be a part of taking the message of good news to those who haven't heard, that we would be a part of his feet, right? And God has uniquely gifted each one of his children and, and placed us in unique settings where we can be a part of going and taking the gospel, not just to those we know, but to the ends of the earth. And so I, I think it's important that we, we go back and read the Great Commission. I'm, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot there, but I just want to point out three things. First thing, it involves going. Second, it involves discipleship. And third, it involves teaching. And I just want to share with you a, a story this morning, a story of something really exciting that's been going on these past several months. And the, the setting of our story back starts all the way back in 2015 when uh, three families uh, moved into a, one of these unreached people groups um, in Papua New Guinea. Um, and so they moved in with the goal of sharing the message of the good news, right, of God's word. But before they could do that, 
they first had to learn the language and culture. And so from 2015 until 2018, they lived with the people in order to learn the language and the culture, and, and they dedicated themselves to that. And three years may seem like a long time, but for an unwritten language, a, a language where there's you know, no Rosetta Stone, you're learning from scratch, it's actually very quick. And so then in 2018, they began translating God's Word, and it's a, a huge task to translate God's Word. It takes a very long time. And so they started with, with key portions of, of God's Word of, and started creating Bible lessons. And in, in June 1st of this year, they actually began teaching God's Word. They started back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and they started teaching through the Bible who God is as Creator, teaching through the Old Testament, pointing to who God is as Savior. And what's so cool about this story is that even though these families are in one of the most remote and isolated jungles of the world, with modern technology, I don't know if they had a satellite phone or what they had, but weekly they were able to upload a video to the Internet. And so it was over these past several months I've been watching these videos and, and tracking with them. And it's been so cool to see exactly what this passage is talking about almost happen in real time as I got to watch those videos. right? And to see a people group who had never heard the message of God's Word hear it for the first time, and to see as they were taught, to see that understanding develop, and to see the faith that comes through hearing the Word of God. You see, just I think probably two weeks ago, was it? Maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, they finally got to the death, burial, and resurrection, and, and through that, many came to know the Lord. But the work is really just beginning. They have years of discipleship and training and continued translating ahead of them. Right? Just as this passage says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right? And so this is why Nicole and I are, are so excited to be able to join works like this in the Asia-Pacific region, that Lord willing, we can go to here shortly. Um, and, and we're excited to be able to use aviation to be a part of that. And so with the remaining of our, our time this morning, I just want to invite uh, Nicole on stage to share with me just how God has specifically called us um, to be a part of that work. Grab a microphone for you. So there should be a slide with kind of a map on it. You could go to that room. All right, so there are 6,500 people groups in the world, and 2,500 are still considered unreached by the definition that Evan gave earlier. And then if you are familiar with maps, you'll be able to tell where we're going, but we <laughs> have to call it Asia Pacific for the safety of our coworkers. Um, but if you zoom in on that region, alone, there are still 234 unreached people groups. Um, and we get to be a part of reaching these groups in three different ways. The first way is being the lifeline to those church planners and the people that they're serving through aviation, getting them in and out of unreachable or close to unreachable places. The second way is through partnering with the local church and helping with local outreaches in the town where we'll be. And then the third way is hopefully through helping with the National Missionary Training Center. And that's where locals will come from all over the country to learn how to share the gospel with a people group who has no concept for who God is and translate the Bible for them. Yeah. Um, and so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. This, sorry, we're kind of feeding. There we go. So the journey for me began uh, back in 2006. And I think I have a picture of really old picture of me somewhere there. Um, and so in 2006, I got to spend a, a month with a, a New Tribes missionary family uh, that was just beginning this process of, trans or of learning the language and culture so they could share the, the message of the Bible with these people groups. And so it was really there that God really began working on my heart, showed me the need not only for taking the gospel to those who have never heard, but really opened my eyes to global missions. 
the only way in and out of this people group, which is the story for so many people groups around the world, was through aviation. And so it was through several small plane flights and then a helicopter flight to get into this people. And it was there that God really um, showed me that how I, God could use the, the technical gifting and abilities that he's gifted me right, to be a part of the Great Commission and how aviation played such a, a key role in fulfilling the Great Commission. I think there might be a, a different picture, but okay. So with God working on our hearts to be the feet that would take the good news to unreached people groups, we moved to Spokane a little over 10 years ago so that we could go to Moody Bible Institute which apparently doesn't exist anymore here. Um, and Evan could continue into the Moody Aviation program. And then afterwards, Spokane just became home as Evan got his required aviation experience so we could serve in that capacity overseas. Um, yeah, he had to get several years of work experience to be accepted um, to serve that way because we're carrying precious cargo. And um, so, yeah, now we're really grateful for the opportunity to go back to the same country where it all started. <laughs> and, and so we want to share with you just one last story. Um, and this story takes place um, in the region that we're going to. Um, and for generation after generation, uh, these people group, this people group lived and died without knowing Christ, entering into an eternity without him. But just like the last story, some missionaries several many years ago actually moved into this people group with the goal of sharing the message of the bible and so they had to learn the language and culture they had to translate god's word they created bible lessons they began began teaching from creation all the way through to the cross and and many came to know the lord but what was so cool about this is that for the next 10 15 20 years they continued to teach continued to disciple continued to train up men and women in their faith. And today in this people group, there's actually a thriving church that's led by an indigenous pastor, elder, deacons. And what's so cool about this people group and, and many people groups like this that we, we get to serve is that now they've taken it upon themselves to be a part of the Great Commission and they, they want to send out their own missionaries. And so they're sending out their own first-generation national missionaries to neighboring people groups of a different language, a different culture, and they're starting that whole process from square one. And so that's what this picture is about. These men are missionaries, and their family are missionaries. And that's why we're so excited to be able to support this work through aviation, is to see the gospel go where it's never been before, and how aviation is really a tool in order to see that possible. So these men and their families from their village to the one that they're ministering in, they have a four-day strenuous hike. And for part of that, do you have a picture with your canoe by chance? Perfect. Um, for part of it, when the river is passable, they use this dugout canoe. Um, but in the aircraft, we can actually do that same trip in less than 30 minutes. And so, of course, it saves time for them to be with their families and the people that they're serving and doing their work. But... Um, on a regular basis, they have illnesses and injuries and needs for supply drops that put them and the people they're serving in a life-or-death situation due to where they're living. Um, so we get to be their lifeline and make sure that they make it to the day when the gospel is finally presented. And this is just one example. There are a lot of places that are still considered unreached because there's not an option to hike four days in. The only option is to get in through the aircraft. So. Yeah, and that's that's that, that's really what it's all about uh, is seeing the gospel go where it's never been before. And so, um, Lord willing, uh, Nicole and I and Olive will be able to to join this work here shortly. Um, we've had a couple delays, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, and we've been pushed back. The country's closed right now, but. We're really looking to October, and Lord willing, we can uh, leave Spokane here on September 15th and then start preparing uh, to head out. And so, But really, it's in the Lord's hands is exactly when we're leaving, and we just continue to trust Him. But we're really looking forward to, to being able to join this work, and uh, we just love to stay in contact with you. We have a little 
table in the back, a way for you to sign up for a newsletter, and we're getting better about sending out more regular newsletters, and hopefully we have some really exciting news for you in the next uh, couple months as we prepare to go. And so we just want to say that we are so grateful for this church, for getting behind us, for partnering, for praying for us, and we really covet your prayers. We need them. Um, and so we are, yeah, really just appreciative and really thankful for the time to be here um, and be able to share with you this morning. And so thanks again. Okay, we're going to pray right now. And uh, so would you bow your heads with me as we pray for you guys and um, look forward to hearing and seeing what God does. So, Lord, I thank you for Evan and Nicole, for Olive. Thank you for the privilege that it is to watch their, their faith, to watch their obedience to you, to be encouraged again this morning about the commission uh, that we've been given, the, the uh, need for those to go so that those can hear the need for us to be actively engaged in the gospel, being the feet of the gospel and taking it to our neighborhoods, our uh, cities, our towns, um, and beyond. I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, open the doors for them to be out. We know that October is what they're, they're planning for. I just pray, Lord, that you would open the gates, allow them to, to make the transition, um, open the country, allow that to happen. If not, uh, Lord, in a human uh, way done by man, do it in such a way, Lord, that you alone get the credit. And uh, we would pray, Father, as we um, walk with them and and uh, support them, that we as a body would be as committed to them as we are to our own uh, local uh, congregation, and that we would uh, be praying for them regularly. We would be um, anticipating hearing from them the reports and actively supporting uh, them not only financially but also in the in their uh, spiritual and prayer needs um, as they continue to serve and follow you. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for the, uh, their willingness to go and what a privilege it is um, to be partnering with them in your name. Amen. Once you join us in our final song, Ten Thousand Reasons.
draws near and my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise Father, for opening up these doors so that we get a chance to worship you, Father, and I pray that um, we would take it home with us, Father, that it wouldn't just uh, start and end here, um, but that we would be moved to continue on throughout the week in worship and praise of you, and that um, as little lights, wherever we are around the world, um, we would shine bright for you that other people may see it as a city on a hill and uh, come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.